So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Matthew chapter 14, verse 29. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Heavenly Father, please give me grace to bring out the riches of your word truthfully and and usefully for your beloved people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So this morning, um, I simply want to clarify the picture that is presented to us in the Gospel reading. It's a very, very familiar story. Um, But I think, at least as much if you're like me, this story often rests um, with some sort of fuzzy bits, some, some bits that are out of focus, that I want to bring into focus, and even maybe some misconceptions that I think uh, lodge in the memory and imagination because of how the story is told in art or Christian movies or songs that I think actually um, get some of the details wrong, and, and they leave them the, a wrong picture in memory. So I want to clarify some of those this morning. Okay, um, with the hope that the, the true insights, the truth of what it does communicate about Jesus and how he relates to us would um, have a greater focus and leave a better impression in your soul. So the first um, is just to mark that Jesus doesn't initially tell Peter to get out of the boat. Right? It's not like they're just sort of sitting on Jesus like, hey, Peter, come over here. This is Peter's suggestion. It's his anti-ghost test. Right? They're like, oh, they think, they think it's a ghost. He says, if it's really you, tell me this thing. Which we need to remember, this is the same Peter who, as we recall just from last Sunday, the Transfiguration, prior to his being filled with the Holy Spirit of Pentecost, is often stumbling around, not knowing what he's saying or doing. Think about the Transfiguration. Oh, it's good that we're here. Let's uh, build three shelters. Right? This is the same Peter who is cowardly on the night of Christ's betrayal. This is not the brave Peter that we see in the book of Acts, filled with the Holy Spirit. I think this is an instance of Peter not knowing what he's saying or doing, right? It's just like, oh, okay, then tell me to come on the water. And so it is all the more remarkable, actually, that Jesus honors this sort of harebrained idea of Peter's for his good and for his instruction and sort of works with his crazy request, actually honors it and says, okay, come on the water. And then um, it really strikes me, just as we heard Jonah read just now, of like, look at the difference of participating in our life in God under the old covenant versus the new covenant. In the old covenant, when there was a storm and you stepped out of the boat, you were still saved, I mean, but by a giant fish that kind of held you under for a few days, right? Under the water. In the new covenant, you just walk across the water and are saved. Okay, another thing that um, at least was uh, fuzzy in my memory is that I think when I, if, if you just asked me to kind of tell this story cold without having read it, I think I would have described like the Lord being maybe like 30 yards off the boat and Peter kind of walking and then as he kind of gets like halfway to Jesus, he kind of starts to sink, right? And then Jesus rescues him. Um, that's actually not what the text says. The text says he got out of the boat, walked on the water and came to Jesus. And I, I checked the Greek just to make sure, and it's a completed action. It's not something transitory, like he was on his way. He came to Jesus. So he's standing right next to Jesus, his master and friend, who he's already just seen feed the 5,000, which is ringing his mind. He's just seen him walk on water. He's just spent the last 
45 seconds, walking on top of water, which as a fisherman who knew exactly the surface tension of water, would have just been such a mind-blowing experience. He is right next to Jesus. And then it says he sees the wind and begins to doubt. Getting these details right, um, I think, amplifies what is being communicated to us both by the event and its recording in the Gospel of Matthew. So Peter is not perturbed by the fact that he's still standing on water. And even what does it mean to see wind? I, can't, I, don't quite, I still can't quite picture. That's one bit that's still not quite in focus. What, was he, what did he see that caused this heart trouble? It says, it says he saw the wind. I don't know how you see wind. But he sees the wind, um, and that is what causes his fear. And I think there's something a touch comical. I think when Matthew was writing this down, which presumably from Peter's lips or one of the apostles' lips, Oh, wait, I mean, no, I have started. I'm thinking of Luke's gospel, because Luke wasn't there. Matthew, one of the disciples, you know, writing this down. Um, there's a slightly comical element. Like, he's standing with Jesus, he just walked on water, and then he sees the wind, and that's what makes him lose heart. And I think this is instructive and maps on typologically to our own Christian experience. That um, however profound our experience with Christ in our Christian life, right? whatever um, significant, maybe even dramatic experiences we've had with him, a conversion experience and a time when he answered prayer in a, in a startling fashion, even perhaps a mystical experience of his nearness, right? Peter standing right next to Jesus, a sense that, Jesus, I know that you're here with me, that mystical blessing he gives sometimes of a sense of his presence. All of these things that like are incredibly supernatural and wonderful, and then some small thing comes in the picture. Uh, an unexpected bill, something breaks again at the house, uh, a diagnosis, something that compared to all this come before is just wind, and yet, oh, is there even a God overlooking my life, right? You know, there's this sort of, tumor, the, we lose heart and faith so quickly. Standing on, the, the picture is just, that is burning my mind. Standing on water, but worried about the wind. I think a picture of our um, doubts as Christians. But then all it takes is a three-word prayer um, at the heart of all prayer. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. And Christ instantly brings us back. And this is contrary to another detail I kind of had fuzzy or misremembered. I could have sworn I've seen a, at least one Jesus movie where Peter actually like goes underwater and is like sinking. And Jesus like pulls him out of the water, which would still be, thanks be to God for saving Peter. But the details of the text, I think, are even happier than that. I don't, he doesn't let Peter go under. The, the text says, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. So while Peter's still able to speak, you can't speak while you're underwater, immediately Jesus grabs him. And that, just bringing that detail, that detail into clarity, I think, shows with greater clarity the heart of our Lord. He's not like, well, I'll get you at the last second. No, I got you right now. He doesn't wait for him to go down fully. Why did you doubt, he says to Peter? Why did you worry about wind when I am with you? Right? It's the same thing he says at the other incident in the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Right? Why? Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? You're with me. You're with me. You don't need to worry. Why are you doubting when I am with you and when I'm upholding your life miraculously? I was literally 
holding your feet above water with a command. Why did you doubt? Which I think gives us a picture that the very worst that can happen in this life is but wind. And kind of dovetailing into this, um, I think sometimes the way this story is presented is like, you've got to do something crazy in the eyes of the world for God. Like, get out of the boat and walk on some water. Metaphorically. I think the picture applies slightly differently than that. I think we, you, we, us, are Christians, we are already doing something crazy in the eyes of the world. We are already living, orienting our life, our actions, our thoughts, our every decision, and our heart to an invisible God that we cannot see or touch or taste. We are already walking on water. We are already doing something miraculous, living in hope of the resurrection. The sea in the um, mindset of the ancients was a common picture. I think Lincoln mentioned this, if not in the last, recent, no, at one point in a sermon. It's a common picture, picture of death, the abyss, the thing that swallows you. We, you know, we are already just waltzing over death as Christians. We grieve when someone dies deeply, more, more earnestly. But we also walk over death. It's been conquered. We have that confidence and that hope as Christians. We are already doing something miraculous. We don't know. It's not a picture of doing something else that's sort of crazy, I think. And Christ is already very near us. And so if we find ourselves, as Peter does, and I'm so grateful for the weaknesses of the disciples in the Gospels, because they give us a picture of ourselves, if we find ourselves momentarily doubting the nearness of Christ, the impossibility of the Christian life that we are participating in, imitate Peter in his weakness and just crying out, Lord, save me. When you find ourselves sinking sort of in an existential metaphor. Ah, I love one of the my heroes of the faith, St. Gregory the Great. He would always be all day long quoting Psalm 69, verse 1. The waters have risen up to my neck. He was just so busy and overwhelmed. The waters have risen up to my neck. But to cry out, Lord, save me. And because he is the Son of God, and because he has already brought us to himself miraculously, he will. He always answers that prayer. I testify to you, he's always answered that prayer. When we pray, save me. And it doesn't always mean that the storm stops, right? This is what's remarkable about the detail. Did you catch that little coda at the end of the gospel? And they got to the land, and, and then the storm instantly stopped. And they connected, but even though unlike the other storm exchange where Jesus verbally calms the storm, they connected like, wait a second, you just stopped that storm. Why didn't he stop it when he saw them struggling? Why didn't he stop it when they saw him? He doesn't stop the storm right away, but he does in the end. A meaningful detail. Amen.